Hi, Ed. How you doing? You sound very low voiced this morning. I do. Yeah. It's uh it's it's what um it's what uh literary fiction calls sleep roughened. <laughs> I haven't run across that word, but perhaps my reading <laughs> is is uh is off. For example, I'm completely unfamiliar with the the winner of the National Book Award from last night. You you mean for poetry? For fiction. Oh, James McBride? Yeah, does he use the word sleep ruffled? <laughs> Ruffined. Sleep roughened. <laughs> um, I don't know. I I read his book. I read his memoir um, when I when I was publishing with Riverhead early in my career. He had a memoir that that sold pretty well, and it was good. I think it's called The Color of Water. Uh, and he's still a Riverhead, and he's I haven't read his fiction, but he has won the National Book Award. As has uh, Mary Zibest, uh, a Grey Wolf writer for poetry, who is a wonderful person. I don't know her. Does everybody at Grey Wolf know each other? Um, Do you have not, little parties? Not everyone, but I have in, been to in enough tree houses. Uh, I've been to enough uh, treehouse events to yes. uh, to to guarantee that I've met a bunch of Grey Wolf writers, and and I know you you stay with you know they they only put out like thirty five books a year, so there aren't that many people to meet. But I did I met her at AWP and think she's a terrific poet and just a lovely person. So I'm and I'm glad to have uh, another. Award uh, at the home base of Grey Wolf. Well, it could have gone to a Copper Canyon poet. It could have. Could have Just gone. as easily, really. <laughs> could have gone to Bob Hickok, who I think was nominated. Oh, yeah? yeah. I you... don't know who was nominated. Uh, there, were, there, were, there, were some, there were some people I was, I was polling for. Adrian Mateka, uh, Roger Bonera, guard. There were some surprising people on the list. Is uh, Adrian, Adrian was on the list? I didn't actually look at the list before the awards. I, I like his poetry. I think he was on the list. Yeah, took a quick glance to see who was and who wasn't, <clears throat> and when someone wasn't, um, it became uninteresting. Yeah, uh, we. Um, I I I make a point of trying not to know when these things are announced, um, because I I I'll be honest, I I want to be on them. The list. I'd like to. I'd like to be on it and then disdain it. The lists. Of it's really winners. hard. It's really hard to be haughty and disdainful of an award that you haven't been nominated for. It's it's true. Or you want, one. You want the freedom. How can you decline an award that hasn't been offered to you? <laughs> it's really inconsiderate. You're you're not going to be a you're not an award decliner. You you wouldn't decline it. Try me. Somebody try me. <laughs> Give me a shot. <laughs> oh. You'd wait until you won it though. You'd get up on stage and shun it. Yeah drink out of it <laughs> and so in, in your conception of things the award takes the form of a of a vessel a drinking vessel all, all awards are cups yeah. <laughs> all right fine uh what's what's new with you ed oh not a whole lot i got a haircut let me see yeah it's it looks good long it's still longish but uh look a little less like a hobo i feel like uh, apologizing to everybody that I had to deal with over the last couple of months uh, for for my my bad hair. I I liked it. I mean, I think it looked the cut looks good, and it's still kind of shaggy, which is what I liked about the longer hair. Well, it looks good in something like a Skype window, which is essentially a mirror. <laughs> and I thought it looked okay in a mirror, but then I saw some pictures that were not, you know, had were unrelated to to vain looking and. Uh, did not like. 
So, it, it, I, but you know, I don't see why you'd need to look good in any context other than the Skype window. Well, it's true because our our, our listener can tell. <laughs> Uh, you haven't commented on the change in my appearance. Do, have you noticed it? Uh, new glasses. New glasses. They're not mm-hmm. drastically different. They're not drastically. They're they're a little. They're horn rimmed, which perhaps they weren't horn rimmed. What they are is. What does that mean? First, tell me what horn rimmed means. I think that means that the uh, the the extension that. So the joint between the glass and the part that goes back over your ear yeah. uh, sticks out from the glasses a little bit. Oh, yeah. Instead of uh, joining, um, uh, you know, undisguisedly. undisguisedly. <laughs> okay. What Sleep I'm... roughened. Eyeglass <laughs> roughened. Uh, horn rim glasses, says uh, Wikipedia, the font of all truth, are a type of... Uh, Glasses, eyeglasses, originally made out of either horn or tortoise shell. For most of their history, they've actually been constructed out of thick plastics designed to imitate those materials. Um, they don't seem they don't the the things sticking out don't seem to be part of the the canonical definition. But I like yours better. No, these are um what they are is uh they they're kind of close to black along the top and they kind of fade to clear at the bottom. And I'm actually attempting to accentuate the gray in my hair, which is an aspect of aging that I actually like, the gray hair. First of all, I'm really shocked at that Wikipedia definition. (laughs) You could change it, you know. Horn-rimmed. I think think it's wrong. I'm not going to change it, because that's once I start changing Wikipedia entries. I I won't know where to stop. Can one buy a pair of actual horn rims like on ebay and then have a modern glass installed in them yes is that ethical uh to the animal well the the uh, the initial to, killing to the of former the former possessor of the horn exactly exactly well if it's like rhinoceros horn glasses we're quickly losing them subspecies by subspecies well presumably like- these are vintage frames in my in my theoretical mm-hmm. finding of horn rimmed glasses I think it can be done. I don't know much about glasses, I guess. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You don't wear them. I don't wear them. I would wear them if I if if I had to. Is your you know what the um Oh that's uh, huge glasses. I would wear gigantic glasses. <laughs> Have you seen the uh, author photo of uh of my friend Natalie the poet? I don't believe I have. It's, um Okay, hold on. We're going to um Anyway, I'll will find this. This is it's a poet I know with unbelievably large eyeglasses, comically large eyeglasses, and uh, it's a it's a look, um, but it's it kind of works. It's not it's not bad. Yeah, I think I would just go for for one lens that sort of hung out in front of my face like a deep sea diver's mask. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here she is. Oh. Uh, no, I like it. I like it very much. Um, yeah, here's uh, here's a picture of Natalie Natalie Shapiro. She's a very she's a very good poet. I'm just going to paste this into the Skype thing so you get the. Oh, is it possible that you can't drag an image into the into the Skype chat? 
It's what possible. century is this? Come on. I'll, I'll look it up, Natalie. No, well, I've sent you oh, a... Down, oh, you can't put a link into the, sta- in the chat? Here, I sent you a link. That's something. Oh, see, there we I, go. Got it. You, can you see the glasses yet? Big-ass glasses is what I'm Big saying. Big glasses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe a, kind of a, a smallish and delicate face that, they, that they're, they're on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's 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 a, it's a nice look. Yeah. So, uh, but on the subject of glasses, I you know I I went in. My prescription had hadn't seemed to have changed in in the five years since I got a pair. Well, th- three years since I got a pair of glasses. So I went in and just asked for new glasses and uh, picked out some frames and said, "Just make me some glasses." And they said, uh, "You have to get an eye exam." And I said, "No, I don't because I my my vision is fine." And they they insisted. They said it's been five years, and that for you know other reasons I should have an eye exam. And then they pointed out that my insurance covered it, so I, I agreed to it. And uh, I'm glad I did. I do, do not have glaucoma, uh, but uh, I was told that my um, near vision, my close vision, is is beginning to deteriorate, and that I'm three years away from bifocals. Three years from bifocals. Yep. That's what I've been told. So pretty soon I'll be doing that thing that, like, you know, shopkeepers in New England do in movies, which is sort of adjust their glasses to look at the, the piece of paper that they're, they're now dispassionately reading that someone has just handed them. Ah, uh, yeah, this ventriloquist dummy is from 1833. <laughs> now that I look more closely at the fine printing on its leggings... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll give you forty dollars for it. <laughs> what kind of shop is this in <laughs> New England? The ventriloquist uh, antique ventriloquist dummy shop. <laughs> I haven't spent a lot of time in New England, John. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> oh, I can only assume. If if you can't I mean, sell I can yourself infer, infer from all the information I have about New England. But this is a popular sort of storefront. <laughs> Austin. You could be right, actually. I haven't spent too much time up there. That's the, the drive through area. But I should get out of the car and shop for ventriloquist dummies one of these days. The busy uh, New York to Montreal corridor? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Oh, that reminds me. I got a... All those cosmopolitan estates going from Ithaca to Halifax... Hey, look! It's eleven eleven a.m. You know, I I know I no longer reach eleven eleven in the morning or the night without thinking of your poem. I tweeted at you about this. Your poem about the twin storks in the clock. Yeah, eleven eleven. Make a wish. Make a wish. They land twice a day. It's only nine eleven here, which is a more ominous number, as you're as you're aware. Yeah, I am. I am. Uh, what did you make a wish? Yeah, I wish that we would come up with something more interesting to talk about. Oh shit! Damn. <laughs> well, I have. Uh, I brought I, it I up. Got, I bought a book. What is it? The uh, Disaster Artist. Ooh, by whom? By uh, it's by Greg Sestero. Yeah. Um, with assistance from Tom Bissell. Assistance from. Assistance from Tom Bissell, um, who 
I don't know if you actually know him, but we've talked about him. You've read some of his work. Yeah, in fact, uh, my last book had assistance from Tom Bissell, though not I don't think as much assistance oh, right. as uh, as he's giving this writer. But yeah, he's I had him uh, vet my video game chapter, and he gave me a- almost as many lines of notes as there were lines in the section of the book. So he he uh, I probably would not the w- the final result probably wouldn't satisfy him, but from a uh, verisimilitude standpoint, but um, but he definitely made it better. So, he's very um, serious, serious about his video games. He is. He and he writes very articulately about mm. them. So uh, what is imaginative this? about them? So this is a book by um, the uh, Greg Sestero is the uh, an actor and assistant in uh, the Tommy Wiseau uh, cinematic masterpiece, The Room. Yeah. Now, if you're familiar with The Room, no. About The Room, uh, the worst movie ever made in grand and beautiful uh, strokes. Yeah, uh, a compelling uh, film. You've never seen The Room. I have not seen The Room. It was made about ten years ago by uh, uh, this bizarre dude of uh, who had a bunch of money that he won't say where it came from, where he's from, or why he looks so weird. Um, and uh, the 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 movie is incomprehensible, <laughs> but also quite simple. Yeah, The Room is a room in an apartment where. Uh, the action takes place, and the action is generally unremarkable. Yeah. Uh, uh, a man, uh, 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 his fiance has an affair with his friend, and uh, then he shouts a lot. <laughs> okay. That's the movie. Some of it takes place on a rooftop, which is all green screened around kind of inexpertly. <laughs> yeah. uh, some of it takes place in an alley. Where people throw a football, play catch with a football from about two feet away, <laughs> and there's a scene in a florist shop, and that's about it. Um, and the production values are high in some senses. It's shot both on film and in HD because the guy didn't really understand the difference between them, and so he just spent the money to have it filmed simultaneously in both <laughs> formats. Okay. Uh, the acting is terrible. There's uh, uh, actors are replaced halfway through filming uh, with people who do not resemble the person that they're replacing. But wait a minute, that's that's plan that's the Plan Nine from Outer Space, the former worst movie ever made. That's what happened there. Bella Lugosi died, and then they yeah. had to have non Bella Lugosi's running around with a cape over their face. Yeah, but these are this is just like an accountant. <laughs> the guy, the guy making the, the movie. No, no, the, 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 the person being replaced. But he's a psychologist. Does he cover his face know. with a with a ledger, <laughs> or is there just no uh, no indicate no attempt to hide the fact that the actor no attempt to switched? hide it? No, it's really <laughs> quite confusing to watch. And I saw it first. Uh, I saw it because uh, Tom had written a piece in Harper's about six years ago about about it. And then we were at, at Breadloaf, and and somebody had the DVD, so I finally watched it there with him. Um, and and Jim Shepard and Amy Hempel all watched it in a little classroom. <clears throat> um, uh, terrified by the the brilliance of this movie, certain that it should be central to the curriculum of anybody trying to teach storytelling, because it is it's everything that you can't do, and it shows why you shouldn't do them. Right? I bet I bet this thing was right right up in uh, Shepard's wheelhouse. I, I think he probably made it. <laughs> you know, it's mine, it 
and I, I don't know. I have I had the DVD for a while, and then I, I lent it out, and it's gone. Um, it's an amazing movie, and and everybody everybody should see it. But but the best thing about it probably is that it it gave. Uh, so Tom became really uh, obsessed about the movie and got to know one of the the actors, Greg Sestero. Yeah, and uh, they hatched a plan to write Greg's account of the movie and his relationship with the director. Greg's a, sort of a normal person. You know? <laughs> yeah, was he the sole normal person involved in the creation of this film? He's he's not even that normal, but he's normal looking <laughs> and just sort of innocently got involved with it. But because he uh, because he's kind hearted, he helped ended up helping out the the uh, the eccentric dude who was behind it, um, sort of with his vision. Because cause the vision is quite lovely. I mean, the guy insisted that um, this movie is going to become a global phenomenon, and it has. Not in the way that he <laughs> seemed to hope. Yeah, it would become such because it's a, a a brilliantly made movie of a fantastic script with the best actors on earth um, about you know compelling human mysteries such as betrayal and love. Um, but still, it's it's a global phenomenon. You know? Well, I, I think uh, sometimes it takes a uh, a, a true uh, a true innocent to show us the things about a, a form in this case narrative uh, that we take for granted and that we automatically load up into a into a story uh, that we're trying to create. And when those things are missing, it's the only time we we notice that they're gone. We notice that they exist is when they're not there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I've, 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 I'll, uh, I'll put a link to the trailer, um, which I have out in front of in front of me right now. Uh, the trailer on YouTube for this movie, and I'll and I'll put a link to the book. I just I just bought a copy of the book um, electronically while we were speaking. While we were speaking, I'm looking for. It's exactly the kind of book I want to read. It's a, it, it reads well. Uh, Tom doesn't intrude too much on it, but if you know Tom's writing, you can see that he's. Probably written every sentence in it. <laughs> you know, like it's well, it's interesting sentences, well composed paragraphs, yeah. and, and overall shapeliness, uh, such as as I've come to expect from from Tom, who I think is one of the most interesting writers of our generation. Well, you know, the thing about Tom is he um, he's he has the kind of career I admire, um, and that I am trying to. I'm not specifically trying to emulate Tom, though I'm very much inspired by what Tom does. But um, but it's the kind of career I like, which is somebody who uh, doesn't just choose a thing to do uh, and sort of pigeonholes themselves into a particular style and then trolls that territory for their whole career, which which might be very satisfying for the for the writer. But uh, I kind of like a writer who tries a bunch of different things and is a, is a little bit uh, off the leash, if you will. And uh, Tom's got his fingers in a lot of different pies. His, he gets obsessed with stuff, uh, yeah. really, really obsessed with stuff. And Video games, the yeah. apostles, um, cocaine, cocaine, war, uh, the the Aral Sea, the, yeah. you know, the yeah. seas of Central Europe, Vietnam War. I have a, a great book about Vietnam War. Um, yeah, well, I don't know it, if he's. I wish he had a bigger, bigger audience. These are these are all books. He's got five or six books that I think should be. You know, if we were in the the the, the middle brow mid century, he would be, um, you know, on he would be like a uh, a mailer or a Plimpton. People would yeah, people would he, know his work really well. But he's he's our age. He's our age. He's he's yeah. going to win. Uh, a, so this is what he know, gets. No, yeah. no, no, no. What I'm saying is, like eight or ten years, he's going to win a Pulitzer, and then he'll be famous. Yeah. He's but he's doing it. He's not doing it by making a splash right away. He's doing it by sort of. 
uh, pursuing his obsession. You know, this is a this is a hobby horse of mine. He's that, making books. Yeah, he's making books, and making he's books. he's he's uh, writing about the stuff that he's obsessed with, and instead of allowing it to eat him up from the inside, as almost everyone else who is obsessive does, he's he is turning it into a very interesting career, and one that I think will will hold its value longer than than most. So uh, I agree. I I, I, I so I think say all get, of us. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you quoting uh, Battlestar Galactica? Oh, so fuck say no. we all. I hope not. You, you accidentally. I was, I was thinking more of like an old English drinking song, or <laughs> something out of Gilbert and Sullivan. There's nothing wrong with quoting uh, Battlestar Galactica. Uh, we watched obsessively the first ten episodes or so when Oscar was tiny and we were housebound. Yeah, and uh, and I understand what's so compelling about it, but after about ten, we had to watch the last one just so we could get this fucking thing out of our lives. Yeah, I understand. I Ooh, never this finished goddamn, this very pleasant and compelling tumor, <laughs> anal tumor of Battlestar Galactic. <laughs> oh yeah, I I, I understand. Um, there's some sometimes you don't understand why you can't bear something anymore because it's objectively good, it's it's objectively pleasing, yeah. uh, but there's just something about it that is driving you batshit and you can't stand it for another minute. Yeah. Well, this is <clears throat> so the 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 saw is that we're in the golden age of the second golden age of television and and that's where right. all the you know, fantastic uh, you know visual storytelling. Storytelling generally is, and I do. I like. Well, I like the same shit everybody likes. Um, but I really wish. I think it was better when all the best storytelling was was in movies, well, in novels or around a campfire. But these TV shows, they just take up too much of our lives for compared to the, the weight, actual weight of the story, right? Yeah, something, that's true. Something like Battlestar Galactica, Sopranos, Breaking Bad, Walking Dead. Um, these things, you know, the, the, the stories are interesting. They're well, everybody, everything involved with it is is, is top notch. It's a great imaginative work. Um, but does it need three to five years of my attention? Does not. It needs about two hours. Yeah, a nice tidy ninety minutes of Breaking Bad would have been um, just delightful. Ninety minutes of uh, people. What, what would what would happen is then. Some of these people telling the stories would have to make some fucking choices, which I don't think they really have to do in television. Do you think then that how to spend uh, all the money? The television then is, uh, I mean, it's, uh, framing it that way makes makes me think that television is uh, imitating life more by allowing people's li- lives to sort of unspool in real time over, you know. Telling a story of a really long time require, requiring a lot of non-choice making and people just being themselves and getting into the kind of situations that you get into when you are acting like yourself uh, ad ad infinitum. Do you, do you think then they you? Well, you we're trying to get a- away from with stories, though, right? We're trying to get something that marks time in a way that is different from the the misery that we we uh, somehow temporarily survive on Earth. So that so that the TV I like to show- add on Earth to things to make it sound a little more final and profound on no, Earth. No. Well, that's you. You have a you've got a card in your pocket, the, your poet's license that says you're allowed to do that. You can just say on Earth at the end of anything. Hey, your mic just cut out. Actually, I just stopped talking. <laughs> <laughs> 
but, I uh, felt like I'd spiraled, I'd spiraled into Andy Rooney uh, <laughs> cynicism about things that I enjoy perfectly. A- Andy Rooney <laughs> is not allowed to say on earth at the end of sentences. Not anymore. <laughs> no. No. So, uh, uh, got another weird book. What? Uh, did we talk about this guy, Alice Dar Gray? I don't think so. Uh, backwards. Alistar with a D, which is weird. All right. Scotch. All right. Alistar Gray. 1982 Janine, it's called. Yeah. Uh, Poor Things, I think, is the novel that he's known for more than this one. This just happened to be the one that I could find. Um, and I was, I, was, uh, I was drawn to it both because I, I wanted to read something by this guy, and it was the book that they had at the book exchange. But I also yeah. like the, the, the back jacket copy, which says, this already dated novel is set inside the head of an aging, divorced <laughs> alcoholic insomniac supervisor of security installations who is tippling in the bedroom of a small Scottish hotel. Though full of depressing memories and propaganda for the conservative party, it is mainly a sadomasochistic, fetishistic fantasy. Even the arrival of God in the later chapters fails to elevate the tone. Every stylistic excess and moral defect with critics conspire to ignore, and the author's first books, Lenark and Unlikely Stories, mostly, is to be found here in concentrated form. Wow. On second thought, maybe you shouldn't read it. Put this book down and read another one instead. Even the arrival of God in the final chapters chapters fails to elevate the general tone. On earth. On this earth. I haven't read him. Have Scottish. you read Scottish? Have you read you like, is he you like Scotland? Do you like I Scotland? like Scotland? So you should like all of its authors. That's that is not logical. That's that does not that doesn't make sense. You had a pleasant time in Scotland, didn't you? I like America, but I don't like all of its authors. <laughs> I, I like all the authors in my house. You have a lot of authors in your house. Yeah, it's a I house do. full of authors and musicians. Yeah, I wrote a so, really. I was I was feeling very dyspeptic as usual, and I wrote a like a, a really angry anti-American poem last week. Really, I did, but then it was even too much for me, and so I changed it to Ovid talking about Florence. Uh, Florence Henderson. Florence of the Machine. <laughs> the city of Florence, which had exiled him to the Black Sea. Of course. And then I felt better about it. Well, that's good. Did you feel better about America? Comparing Afterward? it to, to Florence? Yeah. Made, made America seem more Florentine. All right. How, how so? I, I, you know, what, was your, what was your beef, your initial beef with America? Oh, um, the self, self-destructive nature of it. The tearing, right. tearing everything down. Just tearing everything down that we can. Yeah, we do. We do do that. Yeah, just tear anything down. Find a thing down. Imagine something. Tear it down. Symptom of our success. Imagine tearing it down. Yeah. You want to keep going with that? No. You want to dig yourself deeper into the meta? Nope. Nope. I don't. It's true about us. About us Americans. Yeah. Uh, what else is going on, John? Well, um, I, I was, I wanted to address, um, I wanted to address this, uh, Zachary Cole put a link in the, in our, uh, Facebook post for the last episode and we didn't notice it. He, he was linking to this David Abrams essay 
on David's blog, uh, The Quivering Pen. Do you, you, you remember David from the uh, Missoula Book Fest? Your mic is dead again. Your mic's dead. Your mic's dead. It's dead. dead entirely right now. Oh, there. No, it's back. It's back. It's back. Now it's gone again. You touched the USB and it. Author of Fobbit. <laughs> yes, author of Fobbit. I think you need a new USB cable, by the way. Do you? I just got a whole new microphone. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, maybe. Anyway, yeah. So, um, and yeah, he he moderated the panel I was on at the at the festival. Uh, he's a very very sweet, funny guy, and um, and it, he wrote this essay. It's a, ostensibly a, a bit of a memoir about trying to write uh, while being in the army. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he was he, had a, a long career in right, not just a yeah little three year stint, but a long full professional career. Right. Yeah, in fact, he he refers to it here as a comfortably numb career in the army, um, and he was lucky not to see a lot of action. But he but um, in the course of his work, he was able to uh, sneakily work on his writing. Um, and uh, Zachary wanted to know if if uh, we'd ever had to do that kind of thing hide hide our literary ambitions from our our friends, families, and coworkers. I'm still doing that. <laughs> I mean, I don't talk about it with him. What is what? What is your? Uh, well, you don't talk about it with non-writers. Or you don't talk about it with writers either. I find that I increasingly don't like to talk about writing with other writers. Yeah, I guess I, I don't really. I mean, when things are going well, I might have said though things are going well, but I don't talk about you know matters of technique or or anything. I don't know. I don't really talk to anybody anymore except for you, John. That's not true. Not far off right now, here in Montana. <laughs> You've got friends. Where do you, when you and Jill go out on your date night? Where do you go? What do you do? Uh, we hustle to the movie theater and hope that there's something playing there that's going to start soon, and then yeah. hustle back home because our babysitter is. Uh, unpaid, so we don't feel like uh, we're very grateful for for his time, and uh, don't really feel like we have have the license to to go wild. And we never you, get invited to anything. You did pay him. You paid him in in a car. Paid him. We pay him in cars. Yeah, but so that's far, see, one car. <laughs> but, the, but the problem is, you gave him the car well, at I the see beginning. Him, I see him looking at our new car sometimes <laughs> and think that's next. That's the next one. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's part of the the uh, the the uh, good thing about just get, giving somebody you know thirty bucks at the end of the night. It's like you you feel like, yep, you I hired you to do something and you did it, and that's the extent of our transaction. But um, but you've got this loosey goosey thing going with Jack. It makes you want to hurry home from the movies. Yeah. <laughs> well, it feels it feels more like uh, family members watching. Yeah, Jack feels like family, uh, at least when he's watching Oscar. It was only uh, only when uh, Owen turned thirteen and we stopped needing a babysitter that Rian and I started doing uh, date type things that didn't involve hurrying home. That actually involved like going to bars and talking to people and uh, mm. and drinking. Um, and it's been great. 
Yeah. Yeah, you should look forward to that. It'll be good. I do. I'll be uh, 55. <laughs> look forward to that. I'll be 55, a charming old chap in tweed at the end of the bar. <laughs> Peering down at your ventriloquist dummy. <laughs> Verifying it's a date of, uh, date of issue. Manufacturer, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I, I actually I've had the opposite experience uh, of of, uh, of David Abrams here. I, I am an exhibitionist, and I I tell people what I'm doing all the time, much to my much to my um, disadvantage, I'm sure, that people don't want to hear it. About I think they do, do doing doing I think shit they do. because you you manage to talk about um, because you're an engaging speaker and thinker, and when you oh, maybe, I, maybe perhaps set out to say I'm going to talk about how to write a, a novel or some aspects of the short story, um, it becomes much more interesting than that. It's, a, uh, it's, a, uh, it's some time spent inside your head with your enthusiasms and perspectives. Well, that's very kind of you to say. I think if, if I'm being paid to, to have a conversation like that in front of a room with, for an hour or so, then I will, I'll go out of my way to make it engaging. But mm-hmm. sometimes I, I feel like I'm speaking from the... the uh, I'm speaking from a, a, a big uh, upholstered th- uh, throne of self-regard and mm. making an ass of myself when I talk. Um, the wingback of sanctimony? <laughs> <laughs> yes, precisely. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you, uh, <laughs> do do you listen? Just did lie and wait to say something like that? I do. Yeah. Crouch down <laughs> in my in my Eames chair of opportunity. <laughs> Uh, if I can be roused from my uh, my chaise lounge of of uh, stupor, which is sipping coffee. Mm. It's the last of the coffee in the house. Really? Wait, you mean you have no beans, no grounds, no nothing? I have. I have, after this, I'm going to have to acquire more. Yeah, which is an exciting prospect because I don't know what I'll, what I'll get. I always get something different. Since yeah. I'm the only coffee drinker in the house. Oh, really? Does Jill have uh, a morning beverage? Doesn't drink. Coffee. Does she have an ev- evening beverage? She'll have. Uh, she'll, she'll have a usually like a diet coke over the course of the day, um, and then uh, I don't know. We might sit around and have a beer in the evening. It's hard to yeah. say. I feel like a large portion of my life um, is the the management of in, intake of and expulsion of liquids. Mm. Sounds funny when you say it. But it's the truth. I had a I weird... To... Go ahead. No, I, I went to the liquor store with Rian last night. We wanted a micro date to the liquor store. <laughs> I saw you had some tweet to that effect. Yeah, yeah. It was great. It's fun to go to the... It's fun to go to... I'm you not sure I've it. ever been in a liquor store with my, with my, my spouse. Well, I was I was going to suggest you go to one with my spouse uh, because it's it's tried and true. It's tested. It's fun to do, mm-hmm. and uh, you 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 can you know you can you can hire her on to go to the liquor store with you anytime. I think. What's the fun? I don't I don't know. There's something about um, indulging in a vice mm-hmm. that is appealing uh, to do with someone someone you love. I actually. So uh, uh, our friend Virginia turned 30 a few weeks ago, and so I sent her a present, which was some used records and some cigarettes. But I've never bought cigarettes before because I don't smoke. But when I was buying them and I had the, you know, the, 
a couple of packs of cigarettes in my hand, I suddenly understood how incredibly appealing it is to have a little box of uh, delightful objects, consumable mm-hmm. objects that make you feel a certain way that you carry around with you and that you can, yeah. you know, withdraw and, uh, you know, and, uh, and light, light on fire, frankly, you're carrying a fire around. It was, it suddenly was extremely appealing. Then they, then I found out how much the uh, cigarette sheet smokes cost and I, and all, all the charm went out of the endeavor. Cigarettes are very expensive. They are, especially here in New York state. If you're not on an Indian reservation. Let me guess a pack, a pack of cigarettes. I don't know. Ten dollars. Uh, yeah, these were, and these were American spirits, so they were like twelve. That, that the cost as much as is the Dungeon Master's Guide. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> cost in nineteen eighty four. That's how I measure units of of twelve and thirteen dollars. Is that's how much the D and D handbooks were, and and I I had to save up for them. Yeah, and so I think, man, that's a lot of money. Twelve or thirteen dollars is Whoa. a lot of money. That's four monster manuals. Ten dollars isn't a lot. Twenty dollars is a lot, but twelve, thirteen dollars—that's a sizable, <laughs> it's a, it's a sizable cash wad. <laughs> uh, but I interrupted you earlier. Uh, my vice talk. We—you were about to say something. We'd been talking about going to the liquor store with Rian. Oh, I just had—I I was at the good food store, and I ran into my friend Elizabeth. Yeah. unexpectedly, and she was going in to get, I was going to get a cup of coffee, because it's near the daycare, and I had about 15 minutes to kill. I thought, well, that's some time to get some more coffee inside of me. Sure. Right, all the coffee I've had all day is not enough. I had just come from coffee with Jack, and then, you know, a pot of coffee in the morning. And now it's 4 o'clock, I need to, you know, something to do with for 15 four, minutes. 4 o'clock coffee. is that you, you have to transact with liquids in some form or another. But Elizabeth o'clock. was there getting a... Is this the, the Elizabeth I know? I think so. Who I hung out with in Missoula last month? Elizabeth, mother of Murray. Yes. Yes. Uh, writer, yeah. uh, director of the 406 Writers Workshops. She um, got this drink that's it's the carrot and ginger juice, right? Like freshly juiced. Yeah. Ginger and carrot uh, tea. Oh. So there's tea, I don't know if it's caffeinated tea or other kind of tea, but so it's a hot drink of, it's hot juice, hot <laughs> carrot and ginger juice in a tea, hot I don't know juice. what it's called. She just ordered, I said, I'll have one of those. It took 15 minutes because the good food store is a ridiculous place <laughs> and uh, uh, generally unappealing, uh, despite the name, which you would think they'd live up to it. I remember it. It's where I used to re- we used to see Andy McDowell shopping there. She lived down the street, and you had to pr- pretend that she wasn't famous or beautiful, or beautiful. Yeah, she was very beautiful. She would be at the Mammoth Bakery. I would see her there with her kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I would just look at her hair. She had this beautiful hair. It's solid. Yeah, she's not as cute as the missus, though. Frankly, <laughs> no. But she and your missus have the same hair. It's true. They do. They do. Anyway, uh, so yes, the fifteen minutes. So it was, it was delicious. This hot, this juice. hot, hot ginger carrot tea juice. Yeah, it was great. It took me a long time to drink. For some reason, it sort of retained its heat. Maybe because it was full of fiber. It had a lot of fiber, which is odd in a hot drink. Yeah, and uh, and I, I liked it. I'm, I'm never going to have one again. I'm just going <laughs> to keep it at that because I'm a coffee drinker. I'm not. I'm not yeah. going to go too far into these other things. You know, the exotics. Yeah. 
exotic hot drinks. Uh, that sounds interesting. You, but you should you should go you should do your health food shopping you should, at, up at the co-op. I'm not sure I'm going to do a lot of health food shopping, John. No, no. I think I'll stick to my Orange Street food farm uh, with its ranch flavored <laughs> things <laughs> <laughs> and its great soundtrack of oh whatever it is. It's it's always something different. You never know. But it's always something something great. There's not a DJ. It's some radio station, but it's not a radio station we have. It's some radio station from Paradise. It <laughs> pipes in something that you had forgotten about but wanted to hear. The Do Ron Ron, perhaps, is what it is. Or some some uh, uh, something Fleetwood Mackey, but it's not Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> and it's not like uh, uh, the Starry Mountain Sweetheart Band or some contemporary Fleetwood Mackey type thing. It's like some people who maybe toured with Fleetwood Mac. Right. You know? And... And uh, it's catchy. Sometimes it's Gilbert and Sullivan. That happened once. That was nice. A little pinafore. Uh, Running around buying your cheese curds. I miss the OSFF, truly. I forgot to go in. I forgot to go in uh, when I was in Missoula. So I got to... We're still considering coming out to Missoula for a couple of weeks next summer. Got to find a way to do it. Well, I'll be gone. Yeah, you'll come back. Come back and visit. I think I might have got my Missoula. I was going to say, you're sounding like you've about had it. Oh, I've had, I mean, I'm just kind of in stasis professionally here. You know, I'm not, and I I live in, I've still, I've always felt like I live in Seattle and I'm just here on on, on a long work break, which is true. Yeah. So, um, and there's, you know, things in Seattle are falling apart in my absence. They closed the comet down. And then somebody broke in and stole all the dollar bills from the ceiling. Oh, no! Isn't that low? That's that's low. They elected a socialist, which is very exciting. In my absence. Well, I have been I've been hearing about the Seattle election uh, from another podcast, um, the Roderick on the Line podcast, because John Roderick was an ally of the old uh, the old mayor. So what's the, what is the but what are the? No, she wasn't elected mayor. She was elected. Uh, um, the guy elected mayor is just. A, Average Northwest uh, progressive who oh, replaced okay. the, the outgoing average Northwest progressive. Uh, but Who's then we the socialist then uh, uh, Sharma Shawant elected to the city council, forty-one-year-old economics professor yeah. who came to the attention of locals when she was particularly articulate during the Occupy Seattle um, event. Yeah, and she's a uh, uh, she's. Starting out pretty good. Her, you know, Boeing is threatening to leave um, if they don't get uh, uh, the the union to accept lower pay. And I know that some of our listeners are Boeing employees, so I'm probably um, getting it all wrong. <laughs> but but having already secured a 500 million dollar uh, tax break from the state, they're yeah. threatening to leave if the employees don't, uh, uh, you know, take uh, agree to smaller pensions and lower pay and. And all of that, and uh, Shawant's uh, response instead of doing what every every other politician, Republican or Democrat, is doing, which is saying, "What what else can we do to keep you here, Boeing?" She says, "Well, why don't the employees just take over the factory?" Just <laughs> <laughs> here's how you do it, you know, little blueprint. It's like, well, this this is really the best solution of all is just an employee take over a Boeing, keep it here. And so are they going to do it? Of course not. They're- but it's nice to have somebody say it. That's that's bold. Yeah, 
That's very oh. bold. It's a it's sort of thing that should be talked about. Yeah. Not necessarily oh. done, but nice to have it talked about, you know. Speaking of things that should be talked about, before I even get to the extraordinary device that uh, my wife put on our Facebook page that is food related and I will talk I will talk about it in a moment. Um is um let me let me find this here. Uh on the on the Twitter this morning, uh I got uh there's a article that was linked to by Jared Bland, who's an editor of mine, a Canadian. Uh and uh he's working for the Globe and Mail right now and I wrote a book review for him a couple of months ago. But someone he knows uh wrote this article called In Too Deep, which is about the uh Canadian porn industry. And uh um the the writer's woman named Lisan Jutras. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Uh, and the magazine is called Maison Nueve, which I'm also mispronouncing. But it's a very, very thoughtful, very funny article about mm-hmm. the uh, about pornography. Not really what we talk about here on the show, but it's the best thing I've read today. So I, I recommend it, and I'll put it in the show notes. It's a lunchbox first. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um. Yeah, it's it's a nice mix of uh of sort of excellent character detail of some of the people involved in the making of this movie that she's she's uh, on the set of, and uh sort of both personal and political uh, mm-hmm. thoughts about about the implications of pornography. What part of Canada do they make the pornographies? Um, it's, it's Calgary, a big country. Edmonton, <laughs> Regina, I would assume, <laughs> be the headquarters of the. Uh... Canadian pornography industry. Yeah, it doesn't say um doesn't say where specifically it is, I'm afraid. I guess they don't want you to 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 know so that you don't infiltrate the the Canadian pornography set. Um I, I would assume Toronto and I would assume that the mayor is the director of it. No, gosh, that would be great if that were his his next career move would be to become a director of of porno. That would be Little so would be- Little would be shocking about no. this magnificent man. It's that whole story has been so <laughs> delightful to, to yeah. not have and to not have a, anything to do with. Yeah, if, if the problem is, you know, he's if he wasn't uh, also a little racisty, I could probably get a little more excited about him. <laughs> but I mean, it seems like he's he's truly a shithead. Yeah, uh, there's no question. Not just a, a, a misunderstood addict. But a, a dedicated, dedicated piece of shit. Well, he he almost seems to be deliberately saying incredibly inflammatory things while not realizing that he is on camera or being audio taped. He might not understand cameras. <laughs> it could it could be. It may be that nobody has taken the time to explain to him <laughs> that there are what cameras do. You know. He's one of those uh, that obscure He's tribe. He's going to be very of, surprised. Yeah. Obscure tribe of a of a ch- chauvinistic, uh, you know, uh, violent, corrupt drug addicts who, who yeah, but, have never seen a camera before. Yeah, he was he was from, he was from an uncontacted tribe. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is, this, is, th- this is this is one of your an early conceit that you imagined writing about, which is the. Uh, you know the the island population cut off from the rest of the world that is suddenly discovered the uncontacted tribe yeah uh, um who turn out to be just awful horrible people in ways that we understand entirely yeah exactly like we're, we're familiar with 
don't, don't require a lot of anthropological fancy footwork. The island, the island of the assholes. Yeah. Because we all we always feel that we that you know we the uh, sort of t- technologically obsessed uh, um, majority of of you know of Earthlings, well not majority I suppose, but that yeah. we're that we're corrupting you know with our contact in some way the civilization know, is the corrupting influence exactly exactly rather than human nature yeah yeah um, but the, yeah maybe I'll do that one of these days it would have required research that's why I didn't do it yeah. You don't have to do any research or research, as you just said. <laughs> I there was a there was a time when I started saying uh, research and detail for no particular reason. I just liked the feel of it. But then I would say, <laughs> and then I found that I said um, uh, retail a retail establishment. <laughs> <laughs> nice Yankee retail establishment. A retail ventriloquist demise. <laughs> So okay, Rian, uh, Rian sent us this link, <laughs> and you know the it's Twinkie Maker. Yeah, you know it's good because it's on Hammaker Schlemmer. Hammaker Schlemmer, the authentic Twinkie Maker. This is the device. This is the device, the, the one you've been hearing about that makes homemade Twinkies in minutes. The electric griddle cooks six cakes at a time in molds made to resemble the classic oblong Twinkie shape. It includes a recipe book and pastry bag, so home cooks can replicate the nostalgic flavor of the cream-filled pastry that has tantalized sweet tooth snackers since 1930. And that is a that's a delightful dependent clause right now, right there. That has tantalized sweet tooth snackers since 1930. Yeah, mm-hmm. cooks can replicate the nostalgic flavor of the cream-filled pastry that since. The Twinkies cook to a golden brown in four to seven minutes, and the recipe book also includes instructions for chocolate and red velvet Twinkies. The cooking surfaces have a non-stick coating that enables simple cleaning with a damp cloth. What do you think? I, I like that the, the, the question on the ordering form that jumps out at me is, how many? <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> Five, please. I might need more than one. Here's here's yeah. my question about this thing though. How do you you how do you make them hollow? Don't know because the you see them with it includes and a recipe book and a pastry bag. Well, I think the uh, I don't know. I can't even imagine it. Maybe you use the pastry bag in some way or the recipe book. <laughs> you tear pages out of the recipe book and just tuck them into the batter. Whatever it takes to tantalize with- sweet toothed snackers <laughs> will be done. <laughs> it shall be done on this earth. Oh yes, oh yes, it shall be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, oh. I might get one. I'm going to get one. They, I mean, they look delicious. The idea that you can you could possibly make you could make a wholesome Twinkie is it's the food that is most like a sock. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, is that a, a how about cannoli? a stuffed pepper? The cannoli, stuffed pepper? stuffed pepper. These are sock-like. Yeah, a knish. The way I think of a Twinkie is, um, you know, those uh, that that, ins- that insulation you can buy for your hot water pipes in the basement. You know, you put them around your hot water pipes so that that it stays yeah. warm in the winter. That's that's kind of more tw- Twinkish to me. Twinkish. Yeah, those are healthier, though. 
Did you those, eat the those, You can get those at the good food store. They're, you got those at the co-op. Lovingly stuffed with a pipe full of hot water. <laughs> the shelf of Twinkie alternatives. Things that are healthier than Twinkies. Everything, everything in this box is healthier than a Twinkie. <laughs> There's really, when you think about it, only only There's some pliers, two, two categories of thing: the Twinkie uh, and the Twinkie alternative. Some uh, tampered with Tylenol. <laughs> There's some oh, old jar of mayonnaise. <laughs> Here's something I discovered about myself this week. You want to hear it? I do. Um, a lot of uh, household uh, household tasks to do, maintenance type things. You know, the the change of seasons requires these things, such as uh, putting putting up the storm windows and putting away the porch furniture. And and I have a I can't do these things. Like I have a block. I just can't motivate myself to do them. There's so many things that I would rather do. And um, some you of know them how require, you know how to do them. You can. They're doable yeah, oh, tasks. Yeah. It's the getting up and doing them. Yeah, and since and since a lot of them require a bit of brawn, I don't have a lot of brawn, but I ha- I'm the one in the house with the most brawn. So Rin would much prefer that I do them to her, uh, and so she's in the put in put in the position by me of of nagging me to do them when I ought yeah. to just do them without being told because they're the thing that needs to be done. Um, so I finally just said in exasperation, tired of being bugged about these things, just make, make a list and put it on the fridge. And she said, fine. And she did this. We have a little whiteboard on the fridge and she cleaned it off and she put the things on it with little, she even drew with the dry erase marker, little boxes next to each one. Uh, you know, get the tires changed on the car, uh, you know, et cetera. And, um, I walked into the kitchen after she did this, and I saw it there, and I suddenly felt I'd like to do those things because I pictured myself taking that dry erase marker and putting a line through them. It's a great pleasure. Right? Yeah. Ticking off the to-do list. Yeah, so, so I did them, uh, and uh, I, think we've got, I think we have a new system here. But one of them was uh, the, 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 the septic system guys had to come and clean out the, you know, the the tank or whatever the hell is down there. I don't want to think about it. But uh, I thought that they would have trouble getting the truck into the backyard because in the years since they last did it, the he- this this uh, Forsythia hedge has grown very, very thick. Uh, and it, it, there's no there's no room. Excuse me. I can barely get the mower through it, let alone a giant truck. So I spent an hour the morning they were to arrive trimming. Cleaning brush? I was clearing, clearing brush. brush. I was clearing brush. Feel good? And that I, I felt like Bush the whole time. Yeah. Clearing brush. Clearing brush. What'd you do today, it's, John? Uh, uh, cleared some brush. Yeah. Invaded a rack. Yep. Cleared some brush. Septic tank is another thing that's healthier than a Twinkie. <laughs> and similar. <laughs> but get this. All, all, every respect except for scale. This the septic system guys showed up, and it turns out they didn't have to go in the backyard. They just they had a long enough tube that you just snake it back there from the driveway. And then they scolded me for for not having done this sooner. She he said he said he made it. You know, I'm showing you my fingers. He made two fingers very close together with a little air in between them, and he said, "You were this close to a whole lot of trouble." We we're, we we all that's the state that we live in. Exactly right. Always that close to a whole lot of trouble. Tell me something I don't know, septic system man. Yeah. 
Yeah, you could have you could have thrown it right back at him. I could have said, "You don't you don't even know how near trouble you are." <laughs> Is that a threat? <laughs> Not from me. <laughs> Just observing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I didn't know you were on septic out there. Yeah. Do you have a, a hand dug well for water? Uh, hand dug? Oh, you, you, have, you do have well water, don't you? Yeah, yeah. It's it's dug right. by a machine. It's, sulf- doubt, it's sulfurous. Yeah, it's not very good. Um, in fact, we're, still we have sulfurous. Hal- yeah. Well, we have a we have a tank that filters it, and um, I put a little bleach in the line every month or so and change the change the filter. We, the, we have we're having house guests on Monday, so I always calculate the correct number of days before house guests arrive to to flush out the system, which I did yesterday. Because it was on the list. It was on, no, this, this, that one I don't need motivation. Are you doing, you're doing non-list chores, John? I do, I do some non-list chores. Ones that, the ones that bother me directly, I will, I'll do without prompting. But a lot of them are just off my radar, you know. Yeah. Or involve calling people and making appointments, explaining my needs to a stranger. I don't want to do that. Yeah. You know, I, I don't like job. having don't. to re- rely on other people to do things that I'm incompetent at doing. Yeah. It's a it's 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 shameful. It is. <laughs> I had a list of things to do yesterday. I had a list I had a uh, uh, uh bank and Good. oil. <laughs> so far these could mean anything. <laughs> that, was, that was the problem with the list. It was bank and oil and uh, I forgot the third thing. And the other thing was a brush. And I got to the bank and I forgot what I was there for. Forgot forgot why I had gone to the bank. Well, it's I to deposit your oil. <laughs> I still don't know why why bank was on the list. Whatever it was that I was supposed to do at the bank didn't get done because I don't know what it was. Yeah, bank. As I was listing locations, no, I guess I wasn't even oil. Oil was the kind of like oil change place. I'm going on a drive tomorrow. I'm driving to Bend, Oregon, tomorrow. Ten hour drive you, with Robert with Robert Stubblefield. What are you going to do with him there? With lunchbox guest Robert Stubblefield. Yeah, we're going to. Uh, I'm going to talk with somebody about doing a little bit of work uh, for a thing there. Teach you work doesn't teach you work. Yeah, that doesn't require living there. Some, long-distance learning teaching. <laughs> but we're going to stay at the McMinimans in Bend, which has like a, a Turkish bath. Oh, yeah. I think like I like. So we're going to yep. hit that up. And then we're going to drive to and visit some of his family in uh, Monument in John Day, Oregon, where he's mm-hmm. raised the ranching, farming world out there. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that. I've been hearing about uh, where Robert's from. Sort of like where Kittredge is from, that kind of, yeah. you know, uh, f- formerly desert turned into prosperous wheat operations. Um, and then back back by Sunday, maybe in time for second wind. Saw a great second wind this last week with, uh, 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 Char- with Lunchbox guest Sharma Shields' husband displaying his Sam, work. Sam Mills, yeah, he's it's Mills. he's become a he's become a graphic uh, a graphic writer now, so he's a cartoonist. What, how did he present this this work? On a screen, projected on a screen, two yeah. two short stories, two you know graphic cartoons on screens, and they're both fantastic stories uh, yeah. with great illustrations, really top notch stuff. 
Um, and I hope he does a, I think he can make a big splash. Well, yeah, Sharma has been telling me about the, these projects of his and he, it, yep. you know, I haven't seen them yet, but, uh, but I, I trust her judgment on it. Great. He's, he's a talented guy. Great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, Ben, uh, how, how did, how did the transformation, how was the transformation from desert to, uh, to lush farmland affected? Uh, water from the Columbia river. Irrigation, the, you're saying? Irrigation. Yeah. Irrigation and, uh, uh, stealing land from the Indians, uh, yeah. was a lot of it. F- fertilizing it with the blood of innocence. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the main uh, main parts pioneering, uh, rough. A lot of irrigation pipes. I think everything out there has to do with 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 pipes. That's always like uh, if if President uh, former President Bush were from Oregon, it'd be uh, um, fixing pipes instead of clearing brush. So everything mm-hmm. seems to have to do with that. Pipes, pipes, he'd call pipes. it uh, he'd call it fixing pipe though. Fixing pipes. Me- Land Menden. Pipes. No no Land. no pipe. Menden pipe. Menden Pipe. Yeah. Right. Lloyd <laughs> Menden Pipe. He's, he yeah. has a, <laughs> some ventriloquist stores up in the uh, Great Barrington area, I think. I think, I think Men- Menden Pipe is, uh, is something they do in Canadian pornography. <laughs> it is. It's a popular series. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if we... Doctor-based that... Canadian pornography. I mean, it's a national health service, so... That's right. So, something they're proud yeah, of. You, you know? People get into all sorts of kinky stuff when they got free health care. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's, a, that's, a, that's a general roundup of, of, of what's, uh, what, what's going on over here. Trying to write poems. They're not coming as well as they were, but they're coming better than they were. Before they Except were really good. Yeah. They were really good for a while. Now they're really, really struggling. But I'm trying to write about the. Did I tell you about the Grateful Dead tapes that I found? No. There's a thrift store downtown, Circle Square, by the Iron Horse. And oh, I was with you. you when you found them. Right. But you didn't. You did. Did you buy them? No. There's no price on them, and I don't want to ask because I don't. I don't. I don't want to get into that conversation. No, because somebody died, and these are their Grateful Dead bootlegs. Some deadhead died. Yeah. Yeah. Deadhead, deadheads don't die peacefully, despite. <laughs> The peacefulness of their music. <laughs> they don't, do they? they? They don't go out easy. Yeah. Uh, but so I, I've gone back and looked at them. And, uh, you know, we listen to a little bit of Grateful Dead here around the house because it's children's music. right? Yes. Grateful Dead and Gilbert and Sullivan uh, are better children's music than the children's music genre. I, I think we can agree on that for sure. And... Uh, so I'm not going to listen to them, but I, I do listen to live shows sometimes on archive.org. Um, but, but more than unrelated to the actual Grateful Dead or even Grateful Dead culture, there's something about the, just the personal relationship of somebody, their obsessions, and these tapes being the emanation of, of both obsession and pleasure uh, and hobby uh, and lifestyle, uh, our West Coast, you know, idol. Um, and then the West Coast generally in youth and... Art making because they're really they're decorated. It's sort of a it's a, I think uh, the decoration of Grateful Dead tapes is a a meaningful folk art. Yeah, sure. 
said with his voice rising towards the end. No, no, that's tentativeness of the of the thought. I think you could have you could have put a you could have put a big old period at the end of that sentence. I think that's legit. That's a folk art. It's a folk art. Yeah, like a painting on circular saws. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Like like chainsaw bears. Yeah, yeah. Grateful Dead sculpture. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I so I thought I thought that the writing about it would be be sort of like this last set of poems where I would sort of find what's kind of uncomfortable and then you know an hour or two of 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 writing and I'd have kind of the poem. It's been this has been a more demanding project for you know, kind of a more manifestly trivial subject, requiring mm-hmm. more craft and. Uh, and thought and and uh, anyway, so hopefully, hopefully it'll turn into something good. I, I don't know. It's a it's a ti- it's a time honored pastime of the uh, of the literary writer to squeeze meaning out of the trivial. I I it's something I enjoy very much. So there was some. It was moving. It was moving to see that uh, was it like a suitcase full of them or something. A you know, big no, box it's like anyway. two two boxes. You know, cassette boxes, wooden. You know, as as was made for them to hold yeah. the cassette tapes at the time. Okay. The box may have been made by the person who had them. I wonder also, why I missed, missed. A lot of are Grateful Dead people into woodworking. I think they probably are. Some of them. That's likely. I'm. I'm. I uh, wonder why I misremembered a suitcase, though. I don't know. What else do you remember from that trip? Well, the bear. The what other visions did you have in that thrift store? <laughs> well, I got. I got Rian those awesome uh, chipmunk salt and pepper shakers. That's right. She liked That's them. A place for that. And uh, I told uh, Virginia about the the painting of the dancing bears, and she went back and bought it. She did. Yeah, and it's good. It turns out that it's actually a. Um, it's actually a. I should look a, look at it for here on the internet. It's um, this is a, this is a a painting that seems to be a reproduction of an old painting. Um, and uh, it's 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 kind of famous. It's um, hold on. Here's it's on dancing dancing bear shop. Here it is. The bear dance. Uh, this romantic fantasy depicts bears, symbols of conservative financial investors, celebrating a good business day. It was most probably painted earlier than the bulls and bears in the market. History: This painting was previously owned by the Strangers Club in New York City. I don't know. Anyway, it's this. It's a, this is the. It is that painting that we saw there. That this is a reproduction of. It's a bunch of finance bears dancing in the in the woods. I didn't know that it was it was financially. Didn't get that. I thought it was just. Uh, I didn't either. Yeah. Fanciful. More, more connected to the Grateful Dead tapes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's oh, a, a financial bear that's dancing on the the Grateful Dead iconography, but maybe it is. Maybe, maybe it is. It makes me wonder what uh, what we'll leave behind, you and I. Ah, uh, the real question. Some un- uneaten Twinkie alternatives, a pile of old eyeglasses, and some. Fisting videos from Alberta. <laughs> Oops. Of Alberta. <laughs> well, you want to wrap this thing up? We're we're over an hour. Uh, I guess we should. Uh, although it all it all felt kind of preliminary. Last week was a little dark. <laughs> this week was a little light and preliminary. Uh, uh, but preliminary to our our next conversation. Which will have to involve Thanksgiving. Uh, we'll, we'll either do it right before or after Thanksgiving. Oh dear! Yeah. Are you all, are you all staying in, in uh, on the Great Plains of Ithaca? 
No, no, we're going to my parents in Pennsylvania, as we do. Uh-huh. So I'll have tales, uh, tales of dining and and lively conversation from the wilds of Pennsylvania. And I, what are you doing? We're going to stay here. Uh, uh, Jill's brother is coming over from Spokane with his family. Yeah. And so we're going to cook, um, have, have Thanksgiving dinner here. Well, and uh, well, we might do a dishwasher turkey. You know about dishwasher turkeys? No. So you get you you wrap you get a couple turkey breasts. You don't do a full turkey. Yeah. A couple big turkey breasts and some parts. You wrap them in uh, a bag or saran wrap. Then you put that in Tupperware, sealed yeah. tightly. Then you put it in the upper rack of the dishwasher and you run it for three or four cycles, and you get a nice moist turkey. Oh. You don't put any soap in. The water of the dishwasher never touches the bird. Yeah. But you get Still. a. a uh, a little gross? A little bit. Yeah, I don't think we're going to do that. Are you hungry for lunch? Well, then let's have lunch. Do you want some lunch? Well, then we'll give you some lunch. Do you have a hankering for lunch? Well, then come to lunch. Because it's time for lunch, Bye. That's right, it's time for lunch, bye.